For several weeks now on Sunday nights, we have been uh, doing a little series called Face to Face with Jesus. And we started off and I said we were going to be predominantly in the book of John. I use that word on purpose so that if I wanted to go outside the book of John, I had not misled you like tonight's lesson. But we started off in John chapter three, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus says that you must be born again. Uh, then we saw Jesus with the woman at the well, where the woman kind of was trying to brush him off a little bit and said, well, I'll just wait till the Messiah comes and he'll give me all the answers. And Jesus basically said, here I am. And then we looked at the uh, man, the nobleman who came and wanted his son to be healed, who was near death. And Jesus said, go on. He's healed. And it said that the man took Jesus at his word, which was extreme confidence and faith in Jesus. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the paralytic that was healed at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, so as we were going through the book of John, kind of chrono- chronologically, we come to chapter 6, which is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And in John, we get a longer discourse of what went on there as he preached about, you know, him being the bread of life. And unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they can't, you know, and all those kinds of things. And, and then we have Jesus walking on the water. But I wanted to, so that's what comes up chronologically. But John does not record all that happened with Jesus walking on the water. And so I wanted to go to Matthew because it actually records Peter walking on the water along with Jesus. And I was, as I was thinking about this kind of uh, uh, theme face to face, you know, Peter, probably more than anybody else in the Gospels, had those face to face moments with Jesus. You go all the way back to the beginning when Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's trying to preach to the crowds and they're kind of pressing against him. He gets in Peter's boat and says, Peter, could you push off a little bit? And it says that Jesus then begins to preach. Now, I get the idea. I don't know if this is true, but you kind of get the idea that that Peter may not even really been listening to what Jesus was saying. Peter had other things to do. He was cleaning the nets. And he was fixing the boat and he was doing all the things to prepare for the next day's fish because, you know, they hadn't caught anything that night. So he's getting ready. And you remember that after Jesus got through, he tells Peter, let's go fishing. And Peter says, Lord, Lord, we have been fishing all night long and we haven't caught anything. But kind of like the nobleman, he said, but because you say so, we will. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to act like I've been fishing my whole life and you're a carpenter and you don't know anything about fishing. I'm not going to say that, but because you said it, we'll... And then you remember the catch, all the fish. And Peter says, get away from me. Go away from me. And then you remember several times, other times, that Peter has these kind of one-on-one moments with Jesus. Who do people say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Bless you, Peter. You finally got it. Three verses later, Peter is rebuking Jesus because Jesus is talking about dying. And then Peter, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, remember, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Peter, uh uh-uh, not my feet. Well, Peter, if 
I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Well, then give me a bath. Wash all of me. Jesus said, no, I don't need to do that. All of you, he says to them, are going to turn away and run before the night's out. Peter says, not me. I'm willing to die for you. And then he denies Jesus three times in the courtyard. And then you remember that kind of last face-to-face thing. Well, we won't get into that because that may be one of our lessons. Maybe one of our last lessons, so just forget that. And you know, one of the things about Peter is, and I know that we've looked at this story before, so some of this may be, you know, familiar to you. But I can relate to Peter, right? Peter always seems to be putting his foot in his mouth. Peter always seems to be speaking before he thinks. Peter's mouth is always writing checks that, you know, he can't cash with the rest of his, you know, life or whatever. And so I can really relate to Peter. This story is the exception. Because I cannot relate to Peter. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 14 and beginning in verse 22. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. It says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Luke tells us that the waves were intense. It was a storm. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and he cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, And came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sing and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And we'll end there. First, before we really kind of get into the story, I want to make some general observations about storms. Okay? We all in our lives are going to face storms. We're going to face those difficult times. And we may wonder, as Job did, why am I going through this? As the psalmist talked about in many of the psalms, why are these things happening? And so, just like people in the Bible, there may be different circumstances As to why we find ourselves in storms. First of all, we sometimes find ourselves in storms because we disobey God. Right? Sometimes the trouble and heartache that we have in our lives are a direct consequence of not obeying God. You go to Jonah. Remember? God tells Jonah, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. Jonah says, I don't like the Ninevites. I don't want them to be saved. I'm not going to go preach to the Ninevites. 
I'm going to hop on a boat and I'm going to sail far away from you, God. I'm going to sail so far away from you, you can't find me. That's what was in Jonah's mind. And then you remember the storm came up. And eventually they had to toss Jonah overboard. And he finds himself in the rough sea and drowning. Until the giant fish that God provided Jonah swallowed him and gave him refuge. Well, why did Jonah find himself in that storm? Jonah found himself in that storm as a direct consequence of disobeying God. And sometimes in our lives, we will find ourselves perhaps in storms because we disobey God. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms because others disobey God. You know, sometimes other people do things that then affect our lives. Other people do things and the consequences of their actions affect us. Same story. What had the sailors on Jonah's boat done wrong? They'd done nothing wrong. They hadn't disobeyed God. They weren't trying to run from God. They were in the middle of that awful storm with the boat just about ready to break apart because of Jonah's sin. And we might find ourselves sometimes in storms because of the actions of others and they disobey God. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms because of poor decisions. Not necessarily sinful decisions, just poor decisions. You remember in Acts chapter 27, they're carrying Paul to Rome to stand trial. And the captain of the boat decided he wanted to go on and press ahead, even though it was the winter time, even though it was not the optimal time to sail. In fact, it was not a good time at all to sail. But he decided he was going to sail anyway. And Paul and the rest of the people on that boat were caught in the storm. And you remember the ship is wrecked and they're, you know, swim to shore. Well, now, the captain of the boat didn't sin. The captain of the boat didn't do anything against God. Nobody else on the boat that we know of did anything against God to cause that storm. They found themselves in that storm because they made a poor decision. You know, sometimes, have you noticed, you might make a poor decision in life. It might not be a sinful decision. It might be a dumb decision. It might be an unwise decision. And because of that decision, we may find ourselves in the middle of a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms. This is... This is very wise, okay? You ready for this? Everybody got their pen? Sometimes we find ourselves in storms because there are storms. You like that? Storms are a part of life. Storms happen. You remember there was another time that Jesus was with the disciples on a boat and the storm came up back in Matthew chapter 8. And you remember, that's when, you know, Jesus is asleep and the storm comes up and they're all figuring out what they're going to do. And they finally wake Jesus and say, don't you care? Well, they weren't in that storm because they disobeyed God. They weren't in that storm because somebody else disobeyed God. 
Maybe they were kind of in that storm because they made an unwise decision, but you know, they didn't have the weather app like we got. I don't know that they could tell from the radar that they were going to be storms. It may have been something that just came up. They were in that storm simply because storms happen. That's the hardest thing for us to accept in life. I want a reason. I want action and consequence. I don't like it when somebody, well, you know, that's just life. But you know what? Sometimes that's just life. It stinks. And it seems so superficial and elementary. But we've said before, this life stinks. Bad things happen. Not because anybody sinned. Well, it all goes back to sin, but not specifically because anybody sinned. It's just because we live in a flawed world. Bad things will happen. Storms will come up. But lastly, like we find here, sometimes we find ourselves in storms because we obey God. What? Remember the first one, we find ourselves in storms because we disobey God. Jonah. Who told them to get in the boat? Jesus. Who told them to go to the other side of the lake? Jesus. They were doing exactly what Jesus said, and they ended up in the middle of a storm. Well, that just doesn't seem right. That just doesn't seem fair. But you know, that's part of life too. Even when we do exactly what God tells us to do, there are still going to be storms in our lives. And sometimes those storms are going to be directly related to the fact that we are obeying God. We have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who fear for their lives daily because they profess to be Christians. They haven't done anything wrong. They're following God. They're doing what God tells them to do. They're trying to live their lives as Christians. And yet they find themselves in the middle of storms. Jesus said, don't be shocked when the world hates you. Don't be shocked when bad things happen. They happen to me, Jesus said. They'll happen to you if you follow me. And so sometimes... We may end up in the storm because we obey God. The real point, main point is storms happen. For whatever reason, storms happen. Peace and joy are not the absence, true peace and joy, are not the absence of trials. They are the inner strength to see trials through. One of my favorite hymns is, It Is Well With My Soul. And sometimes the way we sing it, we sing those first couple phrases and mash them so together that I wonder sometimes if we really get the message of that first verse. It says, When peace like a river 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. You see the compare and contrast? Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Whether it's peace like a river or whether it's the storms, it is well with our soul. A closer look at Peter's reaction to Jesus walking on the water is where we're going to go. Normally, we focus on his losing faith. I've mentioned that before when we've talked about this. In fact, I wanted to find a picture to put up there for tonight. And so I googled, don't do it now, you can do it on your own time. I googled Peter walking on the water. And then I hit images. Almost every single one of them was a picture of Peter sinking in the water and Jesus helping him up. It was very difficult to find a picture that actually had Peter walking on the water. I remember as a kid, every sermon that I can recall about this story all centered around Peter's lack of faith and his sinking. Now, Peter a lot of times gets what he deserves. But I think in this case, Peter has not gotten the credit that he deserves. First of all, or second of all, actually, we see that Peter had a bold vision. These were seasoned sailors. They'd been on this lake their whole lives. They'd fished that lake from one end to the other. And yet it says what? When they saw Jesus, they were terrified. Not a little perplexed. Terrified. I get it, right? It's night. Enough said for me. It's night. It's storming. The wind is blowing. The waves are beating against the boat. And here comes this figure walking on the water. Now, I'd have probably just jumped overboard right then and let, you know, whatever happened, happen. Okay? That would have just totally freaked me out. And it totally freaked them out. They were terrified. Jesus tries to calm them. Hey, hey, guys, guys, guys. Don't worry. It's me. And then as I know I've told you before, Peter makes what I think is one of the most remarkable statements in all of the Bible. If it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Seriously? Peter, I've always related to you, but not this time. Is that really what would have been the first thing out of your mouth? Not, this would have been me. If it's you, Lord, hurry up and get in the boat. If it's you, Lord, 
calm the sea. We know you can do it. If it's you, Lord, how do you do that? If it's you, Lord, we're going to have a little test. If it's you, Lord, how many fish and how many loaves did we have yesterday when we fed everybody? A little password. But never, ever in a million years would the first thing to come out of my mouth be, well, if it's you, let me come out there too. And yet, that's what Peter said. Peter had a vision. A vision that none of the other disciples had. You can only imagine, right, what was going through their minds. They'd heard Peter make these off-the-wall statements before. But my guess is that had to be, when Peter said, if it's you, Lord, let me come out there, there had to have been a whole bunch of looks like that. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. That's even out there for you. You know, that's even crazy for you. None of them said, notice, yeah, me too. Let me come out there too. None of them said that. None of them had the vision that Peter had. We need to broaden our vision. God has a vision. And our vision needs to be his vision, not our own. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We can't do that. Well, that's impossible. That's God's vision. Live pure and holy lives. Well, that's not realistic. In this world that we live in, we can't really, you know, we can't really do that. That's God's vision. And it ought to be ours. You remember when Moses sent the 12 spies in to spy out the land. Ten of them came back and said, we can't do it. And I love their direct quote. We were like grasshoppers in their eyes. Eh. That's not what it says. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. But Joshua and Caleb said, folks, it's not about our own eyes. It's not about what we think we can do. You're right. We cannot defeat these people. Their walls are too high. They're giants. But God is on our side. God has told us to take the land. We can take the land. Joshua and Caleb had God's vision. The other ten didn't. And because all of Israel listened to the ten, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until finally that whole generation died. Peter knew that he could never walk on water. But if Jesus called him, he could. If that was God's vision, was for Peter to walk on water, Peter could walk on water. 
Talk about thinking outside the box. Secondly, he had a bold vision. Secondly, he got out of the boat. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water. I wonder how that went. Did he just hop over? Wouldn't you love to be there? Aren't they, maybe it's just me, but there's some questions I want to ask one of these days. You know, did he just hop out and all of a sudden he's standing on the water? I think it was something like that. I don't think what happened was he threw one leg over and put a toe in to see if his toe was on solid ground. I don't think that's the way it happened. Kind of like Naaman. Remember Naaman was told to dip in the Jordan River seven times to heal himself of his leprosy. I can't prove this. This is just me. But when Naaman dips in the river the first time and comes up, do you think he was one-seventh cleaned? I don't. I don't think there was any difference. Dips in the seventh time. Two-sevenths clean. Sixth time. He dips in the Jordan River and he comes up. He ought to be about, and I'm not going to do the math here, you know, 80, 90% cleansed, right? Six sevenths. Somebody else can divide by and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. I don't think so. I don't think there was any difference in Naaman the sixth time he came up out of the water than the first time he went into the water. But the seventh time he came up And he was cleansed of his leprosy. Peter got out of the boat. Just the logistics of that. The boat going up and down and the wind and the waves and all of that. Just trying to climb out of the boat would have been a task in and of itself. But Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. There are times when God calls us to get out of the boat, to take a leap of faith, to trust God, not ourselves. Joshua, march around Jericho one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around seven times. Why? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, of course it doesn't. Gideon, you're going to go fight the Midianites. You got too many men. What? You can never have too many men in a fight, right? So he whittles them down. Gideon, you still got too many men. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to arm yourselves with trumpets, pots, and torches. That's how we're going to defeat the Midianites. That doesn't make any sense. No. Because it's God working. Get out of the boat. Moses made excuses. And God finally got a little angry with him. And said, just do it. (laughs) Just do it. The one talent man was scared. He was scared to get out of the boat. 
He was scared to go out on a limb, so he buried his talent. And he was condemned for it. Thirdly, Peter did the impossible. Actually, it's fourthly. Peter did the impossible. As I said before, we often focus on Peter losing focus and taking his eyes off Jesus and beginning to sink. But for a moment, Peter walked on the water. As far as I know, in all the research that I have done, extensive, there's only two people ever to walk on water. Jesus and Peter. Now I get it. He did take his eyes off Jesus. And he did lose his focus. And he did begin to sink. And Jesus did say, O ye of little faith. But at least he got out of the boat and walked on the water. He got out of the boat and walked on the water. He did the impossible. He did the unimaginable. Peter believed that verse that we love so much. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. I wonder if when Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come out there. I wonder if Peter thought that Jesus was going to say, oh, no, Peter, you can't walk on water. Sorry, I'd love to have you come out, but you can't walk on water. This is a miracle thing. I can do it. You can't do it. Maybe that's kind of what was in Peter's mind. But then Jesus said, come on. And Peter did. And he did the impossible. What impossible things does God want you to do? What unimaginable, inconceivable things does God want you to do? As an individual, what impossible things does he want us as a local church body to do? What impossible things does he want the church worldwide to do? We better not say we can't. We don't want to be like the ten spies. We want to be like Peter. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Doesn't seem quite right to me. But hey, he said, get out of the boat. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm walking on water. Look at me. And then we don't take our eyes off Jesus. We keep our focus. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, 
We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.